0: You have perhaps heard about the story of the man who was shipwrecked on an island. And he lived several years by himself. And then finally a ship came by near enough that he could, you know, set the signal and get somebody's attention. So the ship came up to the island, and rescued this man, who had lived by himself for many years. And as the ship was pulling away, he was standing next to the captain of the ship and captain said, well, I thought you were living on this island by yourself. And he said, well, I have been living by myself. And he said, well, I see, see three huts on the island. Why, why three huts? And he said, well, the first hut was my home, and the second one was my church. Well, what, what about that third hut? Oh, that was the church I used to go to. Yeah, you know, what makes that funny is there's a, a grain of truth. Good humor incorporates some kind of truth in it that catches you off guard. And sadly, we're all familiar with this grain of truth in this joke. We're so familiar with the church splitting, the church having divisions, that it becomes the tagline to a to a joke. But for the Apostle Paul, which is what he's addressing here, divisions. It's, it's no laughing matter for the Apostle Paul. He's founded this church at Corinth at this cultural crossroads, both, both north and south and east and west. And he is, his whole letter is addressing one issue after another in the church of Corinth. And he addresses things like sexual immorality, lawsuits among believers, idolatry, people getting drunk at communion... Abuse of spiritual gifts in the worship service. He's talking about the people that make up the membership of the church. And he's saying, I see or hear, I've gotten a report back from Chloe's household, that these things are taking place, not in the city at large, they're taking place with the people inside the church. And it seems to me, these are pretty significant problems. Yeah, people getting drunk at the communion service. You have a sexual immorality happening inside the congregation, and nobody seems to think it's a big deal. You have lawsuits that are happening and idolatry. But of all the problems Paul could address first, he decides this one about divisions is the most important. It, it's the primary thing. I've got I've to attack this thing first. It's like, as if Paul understands uh, a house divided cannot stand. And so we know if there's a division in this church, or several divisions in this case, the church itself isn't going to last. And so Paul, he strategically located this church in Corinth, and he wants it to, to last. He wants it to take a stand for the gospel. So he, he tackles this foundational issues, divisions, or, or splits inside the church. And I want us to focus our attention this morning on three ways he addresses it. First, his tone so he's trying to address a particular problem, and, and I think it's helpful for us as we try to address problems with each other. Just to notice Paul's tone. How does he, how does he begin this, uh, this address of this problem? Secondly, we'll just notice what the trouble is. Very easy to discern. And then the truth What's at stake here? What's really at stake? It's not just about divisions. There's something much bigger at stake that Paul wants to address. So the tone, the trouble, and the truth. First, let's notice Paul's tone, how he enters into this argument. I wonder if you've ever been in an argument where you were right. Now, you could say, yes, every argument, Pastor Paul, I'm in, I am right But let's just assume you actually were right in this one. But you had a bad tone. What does the person always say back to you? It's not what you said. What? It's the way you said it. Yes, you were right, but I can't hear you. Because of your tone. Your your tone is causing me to, to, take, to take a step back or feel defensive or whatever it is. Paul understands that he wants an audience with these people. He wants them to hear what he has to say. It's critical. So he understands his tone is important. It's it's not just what he says, but, but how he says it. And we know here from what was happening, clicks were forming, and they, they weren't over doctrine. They were, they were over pre- preference. People were preferring different leaders to another. And, and the people in the church actually preferred their preferences over other people. Can you imagine that? I actually prefer what I want over you. My preference is more important than you, brother and sister. And that's what's happening. And this, this, this division creates quarreling. And the culture in the church, inside the culture, is just a quarreling, argumentative church. i would you like to join that church? Just the culture of the church is argumentative, is, is divisive. So Paul, as the founder of the church, he enters into this argument, and I might, as the founder of the church, enter like a heat-seeking missile, just ready to come in and just, hey, we're just going to blow this up. But of course, if you did that, then you have the wrong tone. You might have the right words, but you have the wrong tone. So Paul helps us. He's not a heat-seeking missile ready to explode. He knows that in order for the church to receive the truth, he has to have to write the tone. And so we saw this last week. Paul does something very remarkable in the beginning of this letter. He he positively identifies many areas of thankfulness. He's got a whole. He's got fifteen chapters of problems. But he starts out by saying, I just want to identify areas that I am thankful for you as a church. I'm thankful that I see the grace of God in your life. You see this from verse 4 and following. I, I can identify certain gifts of speech and knowledge, wisdom. I, I see Him working in your in your lives. I, I can confirm that the testimony about Jesus Christ is true in your life. So he's, he's laying the groundwork in tone to say, hey, I'm going to have something hard to say, but I, I want to positively identify true real things He's not just buttering them up he's telling them things that he can positively identify and then the second thing verse 10 he reminds them that they're on the same team why he calls them brothers or brothers and sisters we're 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 all on this same team we're all in this same family he doesn't stand at some kind of distance he he doesn't look down he reminds them that hey we're all on the same family and which is really remarkable when you think about this very orthodox Jewish man who becomes a Christian, that's uh, back in Acts. He's coming to this group of people, and turn with me to chapter 6, verse 9 of Corinth, and these are the people that make up the church at Corinth. Chapter 6, verse 9. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers were inherit the kingdom of God, verse eleven. And such were some of you. Hey, that's that's what your resume looked like before you met Jesus. This is the this is the group of people that make up the church. And Paul, this Orthodox Jews coming in, he's saying, We're we're all on the same team. At the foot of the cross, we're all on the same same level ground. And so he wants to come in like a, a person coming alongside, like a family member, a brother or sister. And notice he has this in verse 9, I'm appealing to you. This word appeal in the English language, very rich Greek word, parakaleo. Kaleo means to call. And para means near. I'm calling to. At a nearness. I'm not calling you near. I'm near you as I'm making a call. I'm I'm walking alongside of you. I'm not trying to be out in front and to help you to hurry up. I'm not in the back of you with a spear. I'm coming right near you and I'm exhorting you. I'm encouraging you. I'm walking alongside you, right next to your side, as a brother and sister saying. Guys, you're starting to veer off course. Let's walk this way. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's run the race with Him in mind. Let's keep the cross as our focus. Paul comes alongside. He's just trying to encourage. He's he's calling them brother and sisters. I, I can I, I can positively identify some good things you've done, but. But before I, I, I address anything, I just want you to understand my heart, my tone is for you. A couple of years ago, a couple of friends and, uh, and I uh, ran the little sprint triathlon down at Riceville Beach. I think it was this weekend, was it not? And um, so I didn't train enough to do this one. But uh, the last one I did, you swim, you bike, and then you run. You run the loop three miles and so I don't like running. It's so a big shocker as you just look at me up here. And so, uh, you know, the running, I'm just like, why did I sign up for this? I mean, what, who does this? Who pays money for this kind of, you know, torture? And my two friends just look like toothpicks, so that's no problem for them. And so I'm, I'm in my mind. It's the last half mile. And I, in my mind, I'm running. I am running still at this last half mile, but if you were to look at me, in your mind it would really appear as if I was walking, <laughs> and it might look like I'm going to quit even. And so my two friends who've had a snack and a shower and everything, they come back, and they just the two my friends they get one gets on one side, one gets on the other, and says, "Let's go." That's the tone. That's Paul's tone. He's coming into somebody, some group of people who are really dysfunctional. I mean, we're just going to see it week after week. But, but it's so important to get the tone. Hey, we're, we're brothers and sisters. Let's go this way. That tone is so important. And one reason it's so important for us is that if you join Christ Community Church, you come to the inquirer's class and decide to join, you're going to marry the church, you're going to quickly find Corinthians here at Christ Community Church. You're going to join a group and say, hmm, this small group looks like a lot of Corinthians in here. A, A Corinthian is somebody who's genuinely a believer in Christ but they still have these old habits they can't quite get rid of. You know anybody like that? They they're really love Jesus. I mean, you can identify good things about them, but they have these old patterns in their life, the way they think or what they do, that somehow they just can't let go of those patterns. And you might join the church, and if you do, there's a 100% chance you're going to come in t- contact with a Corinthian, whether it's on the worship team or the youth team. Or the greeters, or your small group. Some of you saying, I'm pretty sure I'm married to a Corinthian. <laughs> Whatever the case may be, you're going to run into these people, and you're going to want to adopt this kind of tone. You're going to want to be able to say, I can positively identify ways God is working in your life, but come on, let's go this way. Let's Let's move this way. And the reason I'm so sure you're going to run into a Corinthian, You're a Corinthian. And when you act like a Corinthian, when you do things are, I can't let go of my old way, the way I want you to approach me is not by looking down at me. I don't want you to come with a spear in my back. I don't want you to stand ahead and say, hey, come on. I want you to come right next to me and say, hey, let's go this way. That's the way I want to be treated. And that's the way I would want to treat you. And so Paul's tone, critically important for him, for for him for them to be able to just absorb the truth that he's going to try to tackle here. I wonder if you find it easy when you're dealing with a Corinthian to first positively identify the problem areas. All the ways that you would say, well, if I were you, I certainly would have worked on this by now. And if you're that kind of person, you just enter in with, let me just, I can easily identify all your problems, Paul. Let let me help you try to change that tone, because if that's the way you enter in, it's just going to feel like you're looking down and putting down. And so Paul comes in, he has the right tone, especially in leadership, so helpful to treat people as people, not as projects, Because once you treat a person like a project, they're immediately going to start resisting the change. And Paul doesn't want them to resist the change. He wants them to embrace the change. So he has the right tone. Second thing, we see what the main problem here is in verse 10 and 11. I'm, I'm appealing to you. I'm calling near you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. Don't, don't let these divisions to, 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 to spiral into just quarreling in your midst. And these divisions that are leading to quarreling is all, uh, just all over the leadership. Who's the best leader? Is it Paul? Is it Apollos? Is it Cephas or Peter? Or is it Christ? And, and it's very helpful to, to notice that Paul never attacks the preachers. These, these people are all on the same page. There's, it's not a doctrinal issue. It's a preference issue. He's not saying you shouldn't follow these people. He's saying you shouldn't be using these people like mascots for your own preferences. That's what he's trying to attack here. So we're not talking about a, a doctrinal division. not talking about being in a church and saying, well, now they just believe something really not the gospel. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a gospel-centered church where people now are putting their preferences on a pedestal. And what was happening is this competitive spirit, this competitive atmosphere of Corinth, this celebrity culture of Corinth, this who's the greatest, who's number one in Corinth, leaks into the church. Corinth is a very competitive atmosphere, celebrity atmosphere, and, and we swim in that atmosphere, and then we bring it into the church, and what happens? We just bring in that competitive, who's the best? That's what's happening in Corinth. And th- this this competitive spirit's working its way into the church like yeast works its way into dough, and it's threatening to blow it all up. And each, each personality click, as I'm calling it, uses... The names of their celebrity, their leader, as a mascot to, to uh, support their own personal preferences. I follow the I follow Paul clique. These are the loyalists, these are the people who are at the founding of the church. And hey, Paul founded the church and he's the founding pastor. And so we've gotta, if you really are serious about Jesus, you've got to follow after the Apostle Paul. But after the Apostle Paul is in the pulpit, another guy comes named Apollos, and he's really a dynamic speaker. And these people really love speakers and people who are dynamic. And they say, well, Paul, I mean, he's all right. But if you're serious about Jesus, you're going to follow Apollos. And then there's a the group of people who are for Peter. And we're not certain if Peter actually made it to Corinth, but certainly he was known in Corinth. He's the first disciple. He's from the inner circle. He walked on water with Jesus. He, he delivered a sermon, and one time, in one sermon, 3,000 people accepted Christ in one delivery. So Paul, yeah, he founded this church, but, but Peter, he's like the rock that the whole church is founded on, so you've got to really follow after, after him. And then you have the I follow Christ click. I think this might have been the most irritating click of them all. They were the spiritually elite. They looked down their noses at everybody. They stood at a distance. And they used Jesus' name as a mascot for their own personal preferences. Paul condemns all the groups. He's not saying these three groups are bad and the Jesus group has got it right. No, he's condemning all the attitudes in all of these groups. This church that was designed to be a family is disintegrating into power plays and politics. And surprisingly, people were coming into the church of Corinth, and they couldn't meet Jesus. They kept meeting these other leaders. But they were like, I don't need these leaders. I need Jesus. Can anybody introduce me to Jesus? And Paul condemns these groups, and he can immediately detect The root problem, you see it in the word I. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. Someone once said, in the middle of every sin is what? I. In the middle of every sin is I. I've put myself in the picture. I've put myself in the mix And so what's important? Well, Peter's important and I'm important. What I think, well, Paul's important and I'm important. Well, Jesus is important and I'm important. I've inserted myself here somehow. And I just want to personally apologize to anybody who's had the experience of wanting to find Jesus coming to a church that's full of politics and power plays. Somebody whose soul has been hurt. And you said, well, I think a church is maybe where I'm supposed to find it. And and what you've come into is just quarreling divisiveness and people lifting up other strategies or other names. It's one of the most unattractive worldly characteristics a church can have. Because you walk away disillusioned by Jesus because everybody was just about themselves. You never really got to see Jesus at the church. So Paul wants to arrest this attitude, and I think he says something that's like an electric chair shock. He's trying to say, guys, we can't have this. Bam! Was Paul crucified for you? Uh, uh, no. W- were you baptized in Paul's name or any other name? No, that's ridiculous. Well, so are your divisions. Because you only, only one person was crucified for you. Paul's later, later in the letter, he's going to say in chapter 6, verse 19, you're not your own, you were bought at a price. What was that price? It's the crucifixion of, of God himself. There's only one person who was crucified for your sins, that Jesus. that's Jesus. There's only one name you were baptized in, that's Jesus. There's only one name that's above every name, and that's the name of Jesus. And that on heaven and on earth, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's all about Jesus. That's our last song in our worship set. It's all about Jesus. Guys, you're you're somehow taking these other good men who are trying to point you to Jesus, and instead you're pointing to them. You're not pointing to the person they're pointing to. Jim Rayburn was the founder of Young Life back in 1940, and he was once asked what Young Life was about. Jesus is not just what Young Life is all about, he said. Jesus is all that Young Life is about. We're just about pointing people to Jesus. That's what we're about here. And as soon as we lose that focus, no matter how many other great things we have, we've lost it. You can have a wonderful music team and a wonderful children's program and a wonderful outreach program. But if it comes to be about yourself or your personality or your preferences, you don't have anything to point people to. So that's why Paul's tackling this as the most critical problem, this Division. So he sends this electric shock to help them understand no, nobody was crucified for you but Jesus. Nobody, you weren't baptized into anybody else's name. Now let's finally notice what's at stake here for Paul. It's not just divisions, it's not just this uh, strategic location of the church. Verse 17 For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Now, this is an interesting statement. Paul seems to be saying, when you read this verse, it seems like if, if you come in with just dynamic speaking skills, if you come in with like a persuasive, powerful personality, it can actually threaten To empty the truth about the cross and its power. An eloquent speaker, a persuasively powerful speaker, could actually somehow blur the power of the cross. One Bible commentator says this, The success of the gospel gets attributed to the grace of eloquence. The success of the gospel gets attributed to the charms of language. The success of the gospel gets attributed to the force of human personality rather than to Christ crucified. And the power now rests in the speaker rather than than the cross. You know know what photobombing is? You know what photobombing is? You know what it is, don't you? This is you setting up a picture of your two friends or of the Grand Canyon, or of the sunrise at Riceville Beach. And right as you snap the picture, what happens? Some joker dives into the picture, right? And they photobomb. They, 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 they're, they're behind your two friends, and as soon as you're ready to click, they jump up. And this wonderfully beautiful picture now is ruined, right? It's kind of funny. But you can't really put it on your wall anymore, because what's the focus of the picture? The photobomber, right? You're not looking at Riceville Beach anymore. You're not looking at your two best friends. You see this head sticking up behind, and they just photobomb. That's exactly what's happening in Corinth. They're photobombing the cross. And how they're doing it is saying, hey, uh, the cross is good, but look at Paul. Uh, uh, look at Peter. Uh, look at Apollos. I- I'm trying to stick a-, a face in there. I might even try to stick my face in there. To say it's about my personality, it's about my winsomeness, it's about my powerful persuasion, it's about my use of eloquent words that gets you to the cross. So when you come to Jesus, it's, it's me and Jesus and you. They're photobombing the crucifixion and you're, you are taking the power of the cross out of the cross because some of it's resting on you and none of the glory of God is supposed to be resting on you in that way. And so Paul sees this, and he's trying to help them understand you're going to lose all the power in the church if you try to stick yourself into the picture. It's a foundational issue for this church. And the one one reason it's so sad is not because it just happens in Corinth. It can happen in Wilmington. You can go out to a high school as a young life leader, You can go out to Greenfield Village. You can go to your workplace and think, if I'm just attractive enough, they're going to get to see Jesus. That's very easy to do. It's very tempting for the man who stands behind this pulpit every Sunday to think, if I just get it just right... The illustrations, the timing, the, everything fits together. They're going to really be wowed by me, and then they get to see Jesus. And do you see what's happened? Intentionally or not, I'm trying to photobomb. I'm trying to get myself in the picture in some way, and I'm emptying the cross of its power. And surprisingly, Paul says this in chapter 2, verse 1, When I came to you, I purposely came, not procl- I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom. He could have done it with lofty speech and wisdom. He was a very educated man, but he, he knew this is the culture and I don't want to come that way. I've got to come in a different way. So you don't really look at me, you look at, you look at the cross. It's incredible self-restraint. So the culture in Corinth is, is not like, unlike our own. If we were transported back to Corinth, we'd be very familiar with that culture. It would be very easy to, to allow co- com- the competitive spirit to, to allow uh, the celebrity culture to leak in. And so today you come to church and you've got to know Jesus and you've got to know Martin Luther. Or you've got to know Jesus and you've got to know John Calvin. Or you got to know Jesus and you got to know Tim Keller. Or you got to know Jesus and you got to know John Piper. I mean, it's so easy, is it not? Just to slip in the celebrity culture and somehow say, well, you're really going to meet Jesus when you meet Jesus and this person, this personality, or me. So Paul comes back to the church. Who's now starting to run in a different direction and say, guys, come on. Let's go. Let's let's go back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's try to get you, I out of the center. Let's let's try to not use Christianity to en- enhance our own self-image. I don't feel so very I don't feel very good about myself, so I attach Christ to me and I just use him to make myself look better. Let's turn away from the celebrity culture and, and turn towards the cross. Now, when I got to this very last part of the sermon, I just thought, how, how might that help us in our current stage? We're, we're in an exciting stage at Christ Community Church. Because we're growing. More, more people are coming. People come and they want to they want to meet Jesus. They want to know the gospel. They want to hear the Bible every week. And so they come and they say, Hey, this is a place that I can, I can find that. But do you know what growth causes? Change. You can't dress a 13 year old the same way at the beginning of the year as you can at the end of the year, right? Because pants, right? They're all too high now. My, my, my shoes are too tight can't wear my shirt anymore i got i gotta as i grow i've got to make some changes because i've got to wear something different and as we grow numerically or racially or diversity in age or economics do you know what change always exposes preferences preferences and i'm not saying having a preference is bad I'm saying making a preference a priority would be bad. And so maybe this particular sermon has like a divine timestamp. Say, Paul, I need you to deliver this right now to Christ Community Church because if you have to go to two services or you have to build some building or you have to do whatever it is you have to do in order to accommodate the growth that everybody here would say, yes, we want people to come in, and yes, we want people to meet Jesus. But that's going to cause some change. It's going to expose preferences. And when you don't get your preference, and when I don't get my preference, we're going to have to come back to here and say, I just don't want my preference to be more important than people meeting Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we, we live in an atmosphere that's very much like Corinth, and it's so easy for all of us, including myself, to, to come into church and bring in personality, bring in celebrity, bring in my, ourselves, and, and lift it up as if it's right next to you, right next to your name, and we just want to confess and say we're sorry and repent and ask, ask us you to help us see ourselves in the right way. Lord, uh, today it seems like we're on the right track, but it just doesn't take very long before what was so important, Jesus, becomes a secondary piece of what we do. And so please, as you see any mind, especially mine, working in a different way, would you kindly come alongside with your Holy Spirit, the counselor, and say, Paul, let's Let's remember it's all about Jesus. Let's go in this way. And may our preferences never turn into quarreling and cause people to not be able to meet Jesus here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.